Yeah, it's Pulse with the sports. You don't need another report. Bleed ain't green till I D.I.E. Hold it down for the best team. We in first place, we the Celtics. Try to shoot it, we ain't let ya. Been it going with a ring. Giving fades like I'm Kyrie. You the opposition, can't score yet. Homie, you ain't even on the floor yet. Big buckets and big shots. Better check the time on the shot clock. Got my shooters on me, they wet you up. It's a 30-footer, I ain't letting up. Scary Terry with the dancing bear. Gonna light it up like it ain't fair. Dunk it on you like Rosier. Fourth quarter, we in fifth gear. I got Tatum, I got Brown. I got Marcus locking you down. Grab a broom, it's a sweet. Score 100 on our feet. Celtics Pulse, we the team. And we don't accept defeat, yeah. Hello guys, welcome to the Celtics Pulse Podcast, part of the Pulse Podcast Network. My name is Brendan at NBA underscore distributor. My name is Key at Pure Green Blood. And it's just going to be us two today. Uh, Adam is out of town still visiting California, but we're going to be reviewing the last two games that the Celtics have had against the Pistons, one in Detroit and one in Boston. You maybe want to start with some points you have on that first game in Detroit? Well, one thing I definitely noticed is Jalen Brown had finally broken out of the slump he started the season with. He wasn't looking too great, but he finally had a big game. And Marcus Morris, the Thunder Killer, hit another game winner with a few seconds left on the clock, which pretty much brought us home. Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of the Thunder by mistake. No, no worries. Oh, my God. Uh, sorry, I'm still a little tired. Um, Okay, so... Pistons game, that was our first blowout of the season, if I'm remembering correctly. Is that right? Yeah, we took off in the first quarter and kind of never really looked back. Yeah, that was easily our best game since the first game of the season against Philly. We haven't done too well to start the season. We've won games that we honestly probably should have lost, I think, back to the Knicks game with Tatum's game winner. But that was probably the first game where it felt like they were playing like a team. The first game since our game against Philly and... Overall, I was just very pleased with the effort all around. The ball movement was great. It mainly was the offense in the first couple games that was really uh, like a point that needed improvement. And the ball was swinging amazingly. It felt like everybody was touching it on every possession and driving to the paint, kicking out, and passing up good looks for great ones. Oh, yeah. That was definitely something positive I saw. Though throughout the early parts of the season, I... I will admit I haven't been too happy with the defense, but I'm not upset with it because it's still solid defense, and it seems like pretty much every team's doing okay on defense at best to start out the season. We're having probably one of the fastest paced, well, some of the fastest paced games we've ever seen to start off the season. The Golden State Warriors were almost on pace for 200 the other night. <laughs> yeah, that that Clay Thompson game was insane. I think it was 91 at the half. It was 92, if I remember correctly. I remember on Twitter, a bunch of people were saying they owe it to us to go for 200. And they wound up taking out Clay and Curry for almost the entire fourth quarter. Yeah, the only way that would happen is if both teams were kind of gunning for that, or else one of them's going to sit their main guys. That does make sense, but part of me is still a little disappointed we didn't get that 200-point game. Yeah, you think it happens at some point this year? This year, um... Maybe if Houston gets their act together when Boogie comes back, if Boogie still looks good, I I could see them trading blows and one of them hitting 200. Yeah, those would be the two teams to do it for sure. Uh, But back to that Boston game, like you were saying, the defense, they had Jalen guarding Blake Griffin from the start, and he did a great job. He was the, uh, Blake Griffin was the leading points per game 
uh, in the NBA going into that game, and he got held to 7 points on 2 of 13 shooting and 0 of 4 from deep. Detroit as a team was only 19% from beyond the arc. And some of those, it's a little misleading, were okay looks. They just seems like they couldn't buy a bucket. They were 37% from the field. Uh, it, it was not Detroit's night. But credit to Boston. They played some good defense. And on the offensive end, they were killing it, like you said. It was a great game for Jalen, which feels like only happens when the offense they, is flowing. Yeah. I don't think you can just say that the defense, that they missed open shots. Because sometimes when you play good defense for most possessions, possessions where you don't do so good, you're already in their head so much that they aren't as they aren't shooting as confidently. And I also saw another statistic where before this game, Blake Griffin was shooting like 67, 68% from three. And after these two games against Boston, he's down to 48%. Yeah, we definitely heard Blake's numbers. And I, I was scared what they were going to come out with in the second game after blowing them out in the first. And it wasn't it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Uh, but we'll finish up game one a little bit here. It, I think it was Hayward's best game of the year, too. Uh, 15 points, yeah. 5 rebounds, uh, 6 of 11 from the field. He he played really well. It seems like every game he's getting a little better. He gets a little quicker of a step or more confident is really what it feels like. And I, I especially the first couple games was, oh, like, okay, Hayward's going to take a little while to get back to what he was. But he is progressing at a good rate. We'll see if it keeps going. But even what he is right now is a very serviceable starter on our team. I don't disagree. I feel like right now he's at a good role player level. I do remember in a conversation before, I was thinking that not necessarily because he isn't worthy of it, but until, like, he's fully 100% again, I thought it might be a good idea to have him be our sixth man. And I know that's going to be a controversial opinion because he deserves a start. We're giving him a max contract. But I think it could help the team. You could start Aaron Baines. Or if you're feeling a little adventurous, you could start Marcus Morris, who has been probably our most consistent player to start the season. And when, and I'm not saying it's a permanent thing, but when, when Hayward gets back to what he was in Utah – then you could put him back in the starting lineup like it is now. I just think that would be a good way. He's on a minutes restriction anyway, so it could kind of help wean him back. And I think we need to temper expectations a bit because I remember over the offseason, some people were saying we're going to have four, maybe five all-stars this year with Horford, Irving, Tatum, Hayward, and maybe even Brown. And after the first few games of the season, I feel like Hayward's probably not going to hit all-star level this year. I think maybe next year he'll be there, but I think expecting him to be an all-star this year might be a bit much. Honestly, unless he like becomes good by halfway through November, I think him being an all-star would be either kind of just pity votes, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Like people, like he deserved it. He deserves it because he's a great player, but he's not quite there yet. Or if he gets back much faster than we'd expect. Yeah, like you're saying, I don't see that happening. I don't think he's going to be an all-star. I, I think uh, Kyrie, obviously, this was the game where he really got ridiculed for. He already wasn't having a great season, but he had three points. But he only shot the ball f uh, five times. He had one three at the beginning of the game that was just a walk up and hit it in your face. And I thought, oh, God, Kyrie's just going to have his game where he goes off. And then he only shot the ball five times. Um 
he still did okay. After the game, Brad said it was one of his best games of the season. He had uh, seven rebounds, five assists, which is great. The ball was moving. He just wasn't taking too many shots. Uh, Tice benefited from a lot of it, actually. He ended up with 17 points and eight rebounds. Uh, extremely efficient, seven of nine with two of three from deep. Uh, he just seemed like he was in the right place, and Detroit really had no answer. I especially with Baines out, he played a big role as our first big off the bench. It's kind of funny. Well, not really funny, but it's ironic that Tice is out with an injury now, and now we're getting Baines back. It feels like we only get one of them at a time. We can never have both. Yeah, and it's really making me itch for Robert Williams, but it's just not going to happen. You know, like I understand he has his he has his flaws and things he needs to work on. He's only in his first year, but the couple minutes he got in both of these Detroit games, he showed good defensive instincts. He he passes the ball what looks like well. He had some nice touch passes. He's not trying to do too much. He seems like he knows his role a little. Obviously, it's very limited minutes, but uh we're we're pretty big at the center position or deep sorry with Tice Baines Robert Williams and even Yabu doing some good minutes it seems like they throw Yabu in when they need a little bit of a bigger body that's not going to get pushed around and he's done a good job doing that they paired him up against Zaza and he did a good job against that uh and he can space the floor a little so yeah it's interesting like you're saying to see what big they go with in what situation, especially with some of them going down with these injuries. That does, that did remind me. I know that it was supposed to come out today, but do we know what they're doing with Yabu yet? Because I know that it's the deadline for the team options. We know they're going to do Jalen. We know they're going to do Jason. Yeah. But I I know they didn't announce it because they wanted to decide what they were doing with Yabu first. Has yeah, news it, come out on that? It did come out this morning. They are keeping Yabu for one more year, which is which means a lot, especially it's a decent amount of money for a guy that's potential is maybe the eighth guy off your bench. Yeah, I think Yabu, I don't think he's a sixth man or even a starter, at least not yet, but I do think he's a good role player to have off the bench. The fact that he's riding the end of the bench just says a lot about this team's depth. Yeah, and all the team, uh, everybody on the team seems to love him. Uh, Tatum, all those guys, they get hyped whenever Yabu does something great. He seems like a good guy in the locker room and a friendly face to have around. Uh, I'm all for having him back for another year. But uh, to go back to Robert Williams, I think that he has exceeded expectations. I know a lot of people were thinking he might spend most of his year in Maine, which it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I mean, it could still happen. But it looks like he's going to be in Boston for most of the season as basically a guy we plug in for when a big man goes down. And personally, I think we, we're getting a lot of value out of the 27th pick so far. I know there were some concerns with his attitude and effort, but it looks like he's motivated to prove himself after all that. And I remember when he got drafted, I said that he had the potential to be an all-star. And I know a lot of people were saying that he could end up being our Clint Capella. And I see a lot of that in his game already. And I think at this rate, he could potentially be starting for us in like two years maybe when Al Horford's a little older and given Al Horford's mentality, I could see him taking a pay cut. I don't know if he's going to reject the player option and take a pay cut then or if he's going to do it after his current deal expires. But I do think he takes a pay cut. And I do think if Robert Williams 
continues to grow like he has, I do think Al Horford takes his spot off our bench willingly. He just seems like that kind of guy. Yeah, Al seems like the guy that, like you're saying, is going to want to stay on this team and not be hopping around everywhere. He's going to want that stability a little bit. And he's loved in Boston. He's much appreciated for what he does. Even if in the national media, he kind of gets crapped on a little bit because he doesn't put up these crazy numbers. But the impact he has, I would argue, like you said, Marcus Morris has been probably our most consistent player this year. But Al Horford has been right behind him. Oh, definitely. All right. I was looking back on some of my old tweets a couple, like a week ago. And I was one of the idiots saying we needed to trade him, and I felt insanely stupid looking back. It wasn't until the playoffs against the Bulls, I believe, where I started to see just how good he really was. And looking back at those tweets, I'm ashamed of myself for thinking that. <laughs> As you but, should um, be. Yeah, but looking at Al, I think there's a real chance he spends the rest of his career in Boston. Maybe he goes back to Atlanta, but I don't think he was as good as he was on that team and the fact that he was a leader – I don't really know if the city of Atlanta sees him as as much of a legend to really have like a farewell tool like Paul Pierce could have here in Boston or Kobe in LA. But I do think that if he wants, Boston will be his home for the rest of his career. And one thing I could see him doing when negotiating a future deal is I could see him trying to get a no trade clause just to make sure he doesn't get traded. And Honestly, I think he's earned it. I think his game is going to age beautifully. He's going to be like Tim Duncan, not in the sense that he's as good. Tim Duncan's a top 10 player, in my opinion, of all time. But I do think, like, in terms of how his game ages and how he's still effective, even when he's well past his prime, is going to be something that we should be taking into account when we pay him because he's a good player and he's going to be for a long time. Yeah, he's not a guy that relies on his athleticism or anything like that. He's a good passer, and that's not going to be going anywhere, and he can still space the floor. Everything that he does ages well, and he's going to be a great guy to have around, especially as a veteran leadership. Um, I I would love for Al to end the rest of his career wearing green. Uh, Is there any final points you want to hit on in that first game against Detroit that we kind of just blew him out? Oh, I'm sorry. We kind of got sidetracked with that. Um, Well, just one final point for pretty much the entire season is I'm very happy with what I'm seeing out of Jason Tatum. I know we were all very worried about him playing power forward, but he's bulked up. Apparently he got taller. So I think he'll be able to work as a power forward. But if we get an opportunity to move him back to small forward, I have no doubt he would dominate. Yeah, the first couple games actually scared me a little bit with Tatum because he seemed like he was almost demanding the ball a little more but maybe it was because there just wasn't a general flow at all so he felt like something had to be done and he knows though has he that he has those offensive capabilities so it, it it was concerning at first almost there was some of those long twos oh my god too much working out with Kobe in the offseason type thing but it's been great recently and now if there's seven seconds left on the shot clock I love Tatum have the ball in his hand, and he's going to hit it most of the time. I think the craziest thing is that him and Kyrie and even Al, really most of the team, is going to be pretty efficient because of the great looks we're getting. Um, He has looked great, though. Yeah, he's playing good defense, and I like that you're, like you said, the concern with him playing the four, 
against a really big team, one of the best front courts in the league with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, we slide Jalen Brown down a little and have him guarding Blake Griffin. He does a great job, and we're really switching on everything. And Horford can take on Drummond, even though he normally kind of struggles in that matchup. We do a good job of rebounding. In the second game, actually, we had seven people with four rebounds or more, and five of them were five plus. Uh, we do a really good job of team rebounding when, not last year, but the year before and everything on from that, we were one of the worst rebounding teams in the league. So it's really nice to not have that worry anymore. And a lot of it helps with the length and speed that we have on the team. Yeah, and I also noticed a lot of Tatum's effort. I remember, I don't know if it's still the case, because I know he hasn't rebounded too much in the last few games, but I know for the first few games he was averaging a double-double, over 10 rebounds, like 17 points. And I was really happy to see that. He was on pace to be the first Celtic since Rondo to average a double-double, but obviously expecting him to maintain that throughout the season was unreasonable. Yeah, he's at 16-8 and right now, so it came down a bit. Yeah, but he could... He could still get back up there if he really wants to. He has that skill set. Another comparison I saw was that he is like Kevin Durant in the case that when he wants to go for a bucket, anytime you try to contest it, it's not going to be too contested. It's just a matter of whether or not it goes in or not. And in that scenario, he is kind of a blend of KD and Kobe. But to say that, a lot of people would get frustrated because he's not anywhere near those levels yet, but the potential is there and you can just see it in how he plays. Yeah, with the team that we have, is there anybody that you would rather have instead of Tatum in the league? Um, No, honestly. Out of everyone on our team, Tatum is the guy I would say is untouchable. I'd give up Kyrie to keep Tatum if I'm being 100% honest. Tatum, to me, is our most valuable player. And he's the guy that – he's our future. And – I'd like to keep guys like Jalen Brown, too, because I think Jalen could be a good wingman. I have maintained since he was drafted that he could be as good as Jimmy Butler one day. He has all the tools. He's just got to fit them all together. It's just a matter of when and if he'll do it. Yeah, uh, I think Tatum is the superstar of our team in the future. Like you're saying, he's going to be the leader. and But at the same time, we're not going to have a set this is the guy on the team because anyone's going to be able to go off on any night with all the versatility we have. But Jalen this year, especially even more than kind of the end of last year has looked a little more raw, like out of control at times when he's driving in, but he has all the right ideas. Sometimes the finishes don't go. It's all going to take a little bit of time, but he has all the basics that are there that you look for and the rest is just going to come in a couple years. Jalen is going to be one of those great role players, and the, his defense is so underrated. I want to say he was second team all defense last year. He wasn't. I know he got some votes, but he got snubbed in my opinion. Okay, yeah, definitely a snub. Hopefully he makes it on this year, get some recognition, because that's one of the things I worry about a little is that Jalen will get swept under the rug a little bit by everybody else. I think the organization obviously is going to give him all the appreciation he deserves, and so will all the players he's around. But I wonder if it gets to his head that, man, I could be going off somewhere else and I could run my own team. He's the only one that I feel like there's a little bit of concern with that. I don't disagree with you at all. And to be quite honest, I'm not sure they're handling him right either because, like you said, this year, even more than last year, he looks more raw. And I think a lot of that has to do with 
the play calling and how Brad Stevens is managing him. And I know Brad Stevens is one of the best young coaches in the league. He's possibly the best coach in the league. The only guy you could argue over him reasonably is Greg Popovich. And to basically slander Brad Stevens is essentially blasphemy. But if I'm being quite honest, I'm very disappointed in the lack of plays drawn up for Jalen. He's usually either just doing a spot up three from the corner or he's slashing to the basket, which is good for his skill set, but there is so much more they can do with them. And I understand it's kind of like in Golden State where Clay Thompson could easily be a number one option anywhere else in the league. But because you have Kevin Durant, you got uh, Stephen Curry, possibly DeMarcus Cousins when he gets back, you don't really get to use him that much. You saw them use him the other night with that 52 point. Was it 52? No, that was Curry. That 50 plus point game. And I feel like that might be a similar case with Jalen Brown where, yeah, he could be, I guess, reasonably the number two or number three option on most teams because of how stacked we are. He kind of just does things occasionally. Like uh, in Detroit two nights ago, or was it OKC? I keep forgetting. He went off, had 20 plus points, and he was probably our best player. I feel like, unfortunately, that's probably going to be what happens with Jalen. I feel like he's not going to get as many opportunities because he's always going to be option behind Tatum behind Kyrie, maybe Hayward when he gets back to full health, and maybe in some games Al Horford. So I feel like he might get a bit lost in the shuffle, which could be good and bad. It could be bad because he could sit there and think, I could be the number one guy on the Hawks, my hometown team. But because he's behind three other talented players, he might not get that recognition. But at the same time, because he doesn't get those opportunities, he might not demand as much in free agency. But you see Terry Rozier, he could probably get up to $20 million this year in free agency despite being essentially our sixth, maybe seventh man. Yeah, and I think in the end, all of these guys are competitors, and winning is the top of their list. I think if the Celtics give the Warriors a good run in the championship this year um, and possibly even win it, that Jalen probably doesn't have those those thoughts in his head unless he completely disappears, averages five points or whatever. I I don't see that happening. He stepped up like crazy last playoffs. Maybe part of that was because obviously Hayward and Irving were down. He needed to hold a bigger load, but Jalen steps up in big games. It seems like the national TV games, the games against Golden State, Jalen is showing up and expecting a big game. So I think the winning will kind of shut that up a little, but right now that hasn't happened yet, so that's something to look out for. But even saying that, yeah, like you said, Jalen had a big game yesterday, especially in that fourth quarter. He started out good, he got a good couple steals, and he had a really nice lefty finish at one point, and the three to pretty much ice the game, even though Detroit hit some crazy desperation threes to keep it close, uh, Jalen really put him away in the fourth. Um, while we're on the subject of the last game in the fourth, I nearly had a heart attack when Blake Griffin slid into Kyrie. Like, I'm not going to be angry and say that was a dirty play. They were both just two competitors rushing after the ball to try to give their chance the team to win. And he just happened to hit Kyrie in the knee. It was kind of horrifying to watch because when you first see it, it looks kind of like Kyrie's knee bends, but it looks like it wasn't that bad when you see it again. It was just something to be concerned about. And, I already have a lot of concerns about Kyrie's knee, but we'll save that for a future conversation. Yeah, the last thing I want is another injury, especially one of those big guys. Let alone, Tice is already, uh, I think they said two weeks until he's reevaluated. 
Yeah, we don't we don't want another injury riddled season like last year. Because last year it didn't show too much, but we were pounded by injuries all year long. And I to this day maintain that that's why we didn't get the one seed. Yeah, so much so where at one point Jalen was the pretty much the only guy from that starting lineup that was really healthy in I want to say that game against Chicago, and he went crazy himself. Uh, kind of distracting from those injuries, like you said, but there was a lot last year. Well, Tatum was healthy pretty much all last year, too. Oh, yeah, I think that was actually the only one game he sat. Something yeah, like that. that. And then even Jalen had a scary injury last year when if he landed even slightly differently, he might not even be playing in the NBA anymore. Yeah, I remember that one in Minnesota. That was terrifying. I I was silent for minutes after. I was like, oh my God, they're going to have to bring out a stretcher. Like, this is not what we need this year. Very lucky on that one. He needs to hang on to the rim. Uh, I literally just remember getting home from work that night, turning on the TV, and like everyone was crying around. I'm like, oh God, who got her? And then I saw the replay. And when he walked off on his own, I was so relieved. I'm like, well, even if that's a horrible injury, he's not like crippled. So that's good. Yeah, and there were some crazy ones last year. Obviously, Gordon Hayward, there was the Isaiah Cannon, uh, Patrick McCaw had a scary one. It was, there's been some crazy injuries. I have a couple friends that actually just started the NBA watching really more so than a casual fan the last couple years. And he's like, oh my God, who's going to get injured this year? What star is going to go to what team all the time? And the NBA is just so different now. Uh, obviously the injuries can't be controlled. The highest pace is going to be the cause of a lot of that. But the way superstars move now is crazy. I also remember last night I saw something that scared the hell out of me. It was Zaza, no, one of the most dirty players, at least allegedly, quote unquote, came dangerously close to putting his foot under Gordon Hayward when he was coming down from a jump shot. And... We we're lucky nothing happened. My heart dropped when I saw it. Yeah, it sounds I thought like we were. About, I thought just, we were about to get opening game of last year all over again. Yeah, that's terrifying. It sounds like you have a close eye on Kyrie and Gordon the entire game. Like nobody get anywhere near them. Those are our star players. It, it's not even just that. Like if it was any other player, I'd be fine. But we're talking about Zaza, and yeah. we all know his reputation, whether you believe he's dirty or not. The other players I look out for in that regard are like Grayson Allen, who looks like he's not as bad as he was in college so far. But it's only been like seven or eight games. I don't know how many games the Jazz have played. So who knows? Yeah, so uh, the the game against Detroit yesterday was Kyrie's finally breakout game. Uh, 31-5-5, 10-16 shooting, 4-7 of seven from deep, and hit all but one of his free throws. And it, it was just classic Kyrie. It was nice to finally see this. Maybe it was the cut hair. Um, <laughs> yeah, what do you think about that game last night? It was just great. I'm ha- I was happy to see Kyrie finally have one of the classic Kyrie games. Though, I am a bit of a critic of Kyrie's game style in some way. Well, play style, sorry. But... I think it's good for the team on some nights. On some nights, guys can't buy a shot, so you just need Kyrie to be Kyrie and take over, play as much hero ball as he needs to. And last night, it felt like one of those nights, while we were playing very well, we were passing the ball around, he was the only guy who seemed like could reliably score at times. 
I mean, of course, you had some guys like Tatum occasionally make good shots and look overall good in the flow of the offense. But sometimes you need Kyrie to just be Kyrie. Other games, you need him to just pass the ball and stay out of the other guy's way. And I was worried coming into the season that that might not be his style. But the first game against Detroit, again, he only had three points. He only attempted five shots. He let other guys handle everything. And if he continues to play like that where he knows him to get out of the way and he knows him to take over, that would be great for our team. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like he has a problem doing that. Um, he's obviously getting ridicule- ridiculed by the national media, but it, it, all that really matters is the wins. The Celtics are 5-2, and two, um, both not really good losses. Obviously, that one against Orlando hurts like crazy, but the Celtics are playing well now. The last three games, they've looked good. Uh, they're riding some momentum going about to play the best team in the league. The only undefeated team left, um, Milwaukee in a couple days here. Yeah, that was actually a good transition. I was planning on doing it too, but <laughs> personally, I think that's our next real test of the year. Cause that loss against the Raptors, we looked good, but overall I feel like that game was just destined to be Toronto's. We didn't pass the ball that well. We didn't play in the flow of an offense. No one really got hot. And you could just credit that to Toronto's amazing defense. Toronto has been phenomenal to start the season. Kawhi Leonard looks better than ever. Serge Ibaka looking like he played back in OKC. And overall, oh, and Kyle Lowry playing out of his mind, probably the best point guard in the East since Kemba Walker right now. And Toronto, they look like the team to be in the East right now, not the Celtics, as much as it pains me to say that. But you have to remember that while their starting lineup is great, their bench hasn't been as good as they were last year. So we're going to have to see if the bench can figure it out. But at the same time, Boston has a lot more potential to tap into. They've got a bunch of guys who can't seem to get hot certain nights. But once the team gets organized, I think we have a real series. And then we go back to Milwaukee, who I've been saying for months now, they're the scariest team. They took us to seven games. They got Brooke Lopez, who's an underrated acquisition. He might not be one of the best players in the league, but he's a big pace and space center who will be able to help space the floor, shoot threes. And then they've got Mike Budenhoser, a very good coach, former coach of the year, back on Al's old team in Atlanta. And I think Milwaukee is one of the sleeper teams. I always thought that Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, and Toronto were the top four teams in the East. And right now it looks like it's going to be Boston, Toronto, and Milwaukee. Right now it looks like the next tier below is Philly and the Pacers. But right now the Bucks and the Raptors are our two biggest threats in my personal opinion. And we're going to have to see how we do against the Bucks. But we don't know if Giannis is going to be back. So they might not even be at 100%. Yeah, and I really hope he is. Uh, obviously, I, I would hope every player has helped the 82 games a season. It's just not going to happen. But if you watch a Milwaukee game from last year on the offensive end compared to this year, it is night and day. It seems like Giannis was doing all the work. They said, everybody get out of Giannis's way, stand at the three-point line. If you catch it, shoot it. Um, and Middleton was still putting up good numbers. The team was still really good last year doing that. But now there's a flow. Uh, everybody's kicking in, driving, uh, sorry, driving in and kicking out, and they look scary. Middleton is really having a breakout year. Um, 
we all knew what he was capable of. Like you said, Brooke Lopez gives them some spacing there. Thon Maker has another year under his belt. They have good 3 and D guys like Tony Snell, and they have a complete team. Uh, Milwaukee is definitely one to worry about. I said the same thing uh, before the season started. It felt like people had Milwaukee and Indiana on the same level behind Boston, Toronto, and Philadelphia. And I just didn't understand why probably, debatably with Kawhi, the best player in the East in Giannis is being so disrespected, especially when he actually has a good cast around him. It's not like it's a bunch of nobodies. This is a good team. And especially, like, they just got a coach of the year. And it's not like he's some washed up ex-coach of the year. This is still a really good coach that when he was in Atlanta, every single player in that starting lineup one player of the week at some point. It's not everyone is going to be thriving in Milwaukee, and that's what's been happening. Uh, they're undefeated, not against great teams, uh, but wins are wins. You got to win. You have to beat the teams that you're supposed to. That's what they've been doing, and we can't even say the same like with that loss to Orlando. And we play Milwaukee, and then we play Indiana right after in Indiana. We start a crazy road trip. So the Celtics have a lot coming up here. Do you think that we're able to steal this next game in the Garden against Giannis? Well, just to touch back on something you already said. Like you said, they added Brooke Lopez. Chris Middleton, who I felt was underrated, has slowly broken out. And now they're just doing a lot better. And like you said, it's be probably a lot due in part to, well, two things. One, Giannis is taking and making threes now, which is huge. Something Ben Simmons could learn from. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just had to. It was too easy. Uh, and then number two is Mike Budenhoser. Jason Kidd has never really been that good of a coach. So to have an upgrade like that in the coaching staff just immediately makes the team better. But in regards to beating the Bucks. If Giannis isn't there, I think we have where the favorites to win that match. If Giannis is there, it's really going to depend on how well we pass the ball and how hot every, anyone can get. If Tatum or Brown or even Kyrie go off, I think we have a very good chance of winning. But if it's another one of those games where we rely too much on isolation, I think it's going to be a very long night for Celtics fans. In regards to the Pacers, see, that's a tough one. I think we have a good chance of winning simply because Oladipo, even with the team improving overall, Oladipo is still their best player, and we have Jalen Brown to guard him. And while sometimes Oladipo can get hot, the Cavs showed last year that when, if you can stop Oladipo, the team is going to struggle. They might find certain ways, but they don't have guys like Lance Stevenson to push the pace anymore. At that point, they'd have to rely on Tyreek Evans, who is a phenomenal player, but if everything goes well and at least one or two players on the Celtics get hot, I think we probably win that game. Yeah, I think a lot of the ways the Celtics have been getting their wins is really the bench taking off. And that's a unit with Smart, Morris, Terry, Tatum, and one of the bigs, Baines, Tice. Um, and I think that's where we're going to do some work against Milwaukee too. If Giannis sits... I would assume that, that they're staggering Giannis and Middleton a little bit there. But once Giannis goes down, obviously, if he doesn't play, I think it's a win. Um, this is all riding on Giannis being active for and healthy for the game. 
it's going to be a close one, and I'm glad that we finally get a good team that's performing well while we are doing the same. Because against Toronto, we we played well in that first game against Philadelphia, but it was the first game of the season. There weren't you couldn't draw too many conclusions. Now it it feels like we're in a flow, especially like we like I've been saying on the offensive side, and we need it's really going to be our defense here, but. We are the best defense in the league right now. There's been one, two, three, four games where we're holding teams on to 100, and that really seems crazy this year. Um, if we can keep that up, it seems like we're just slowing down the game. It's We're scoring most of our possessions, and we're getting a good amount of stops. So I think if we can pull through on the defensive end, which is a lot easier said than done against what is the offensive powerhouse in Milwaukee that we can do well there. And there's only so much, so much stopping of Giannis you can do. You really have to just kind of limit him from getting into the paint and close out on the shooters. Well, even then you can't really just limit him to not going into the paint anymore because again, he can shoot now. Maybe he's not Stephen Curry, but if you leave him open, he's probably going to take and make that shot now. Yeah, and that's what really makes him on that MVP level. It was the next transformation of his game. Like you said, Ben Simmons takes some hits because if he could do that, then you get to the paint so much easier. It opens up so much for your game. And if they leave you open, that's easy points. But like you said earlier, the Bucks are winning games they're supposed to win, and that's really going to matter when we get into the home stretch of the season because when it's the final race with the Bucks, Celtics, uh, the Raptors, maybe even Philly and Indiana, if they can start winning more and doing well as the season goes on, it's going to be a tight race for that number one seed, and every win is going to count. It's kind of ironic because for years now everyone's been saying the West is a better conference. That's where all the good teams are. And while that does hold a little bit true, we all know the Warriors are probably going to be the ones to come out of the West. The East is a competitive one where we have three, four, maybe even five teams that could come out on top. And with the Warriors possibly coming out of the West, you want every win you possibly can for the opportunity to have home court advantage, especially Boston, because if you want to beat you want to beat the Warriors, you do not want to have to go to the Oracle more than three times in a series. And you want to win every time you're at home. Yeah, Boston really needs that home court advantage. Only dropping one last postseason, that game seven against Cleveland. And you could tell it was a big difference on in the Garden compared to on the road. Like in that Milwaukee series, if Game 7 was in Milwaukee, I don't know if we walk away with that. And that's a completely different season losing in the first round compared to Eastern Conference Finals three minutes away from seeing Golden State in the Finals. Oh, no question. And it's a funny thing because, at least in my eyes, I feel like... Whoever has home court advantage is probably going to win the East. If it's Toronto, if it's Milwaukee, if it's us, whoever is the number one seed I feel is going to win the East. And right now, Milwaukee looks like they're going to be the ones to do it, but it's still so early in the season, you can never tell. And like I said, the Raptors bench hasn't fully figured it out yet. The Celtics as a whole are still kind of figuring out what they are and who they are, which is kind of weird since they're only adding two new players, but when two new players come in and they're suddenly your best players, that changes the entire complexity of the situation. That being said, like you said, 
we didn't look too good on the road, but there were a handful of games where one or two players took off. I remember game six in Cleveland, Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier went off and we came close to ending it in Cleveland, but we just couldn't. And it kind of made me angry after because I'm like, you couldn't save that for at home in Boston. And to this day, my paranoia says that that's why we lost game seven because they wasted <laughs> and why they played so bad. They wasted their last good performance of the season in Cleveland. But they were all young. It was their first time in the playoffs, and they did exceptionally well. Well, the first times they were key piece in the playoffs. Some players handled the pressure well, like Tatum. Some did what, couldn't handle the pressure when it was in hostile territory, like Jalen and Rozier for most of the time. Maybe having an extra year, maybe if it was this year with their second run in the playoffs, maybe they could have beaten Cleveland in seven games. Maybe they don't struggle on the road as much. And that could make a huge difference. But because of how big home court advantage is and how good Milwaukee and how good Toronto is, I feel like we're going to need it if we want to for sure win the series. And even then, it's going to be tough. Milwaukee's weakness is their bench. Their bench isn't that great. Like, yeah, there are some good players on there like Malcolm Brogdon, but they're not nearly as deep as the other top teams in the East. Yeah, and I think Kyrie Irving is going to be where that difference is really felt uh, on the road in the playoffs. Kyrie obviously is going to show up every single night, especially in the playoffs. That's where he's going to thrive. That's what we hope. And the same, hopefully, is going to be able to say, be said for Gordon Hayward and Al Horford, both with a little bit of playoff experience, a little mess, a little less on Gordon, but those guys should make a really big difference on how we perform on the road in the playoffs. Yeah, I still have some worry about Kyrie's health because he hasn't played a full season in his entire career. I think the most he had was 72, which is pretty good, but he averages like mid to low 60 games in a season which I guess is fine if he misses a couple games in the regular season it happens to a lot of the great players but we need him healthy for the playoffs that's what we need yeah so what are you looking for the Celtics to keep on doing the same and what needs to change for these next couple games here mainly this road stretch that they have well, obviously, they need to keep the ball moving. They need to keep getting the ball in everyone's hand and letting everyone have an opportunity and basically hoping one or two players get hot. Obviously, you look to Tatum and Kyrie for that, but Hayward might finally have his breakout game during this road trip. Jalen Brown is kind of hot and cold. Any night, he could go off. And you have to feed the hot hand. Once someone gets hot, you need to let them keep doing what they're doing. If two guys get hot at once, they're the two guys you play through. And, of course, you just got to trust Brad Stevens to figure it all out. And he's one of the best coaches in the league. And Kyrie, of course, had his breakout game, but I want to see more before I feel comfortable giving him that super max again. He's one of the best players in the league, but he needs to prove it on a consistent basis at this point after a slow start to the season. The team looks great. The defense needs to keep up. The offense, while it has improved, I think there's still a lot more potential to be found there. And once they figure that out, they will be the best team in the East without question. Even, I think, Toronto would struggle against them. Yeah, I think offensively, obviously, it's nice to see everything moving, especially when there was a lot of isolation going on at the beginning. But it's almost like they're trying too hard to keep it moving. There were a couple times where I'm like, man, I really wish... Tatum or mainly not Tatum take 
Tatum takes his ones where he's a little open there, but Jalen and some of the more hesitant players offensively, like you had a good look there. You should have just gone up instead of kicking it out, or you should have taken that three. But obviously it's early in the seasons. Brad, Brad is trying to instill it in their mind that, hey, we keep it moving, pass up good for great. But there's a couple times where they shouldn't be passing up those looks. There was also one thing that I noticed is – um. Right before Kyrie announced his intention to re-sign, he did invite guys to his uh, invite guys to his house or wherever for the dinner before he told them before he would tell the Garden. But there were some players he didn't invite, and some of those got and Kyrie, I guess, considers those guys the core of the team, and that might be very scary or even hurtful towards the other players on the team who might not know their place in the lineup anymore. Some guys who might have been confident. They might not be as confident. They might be worried or they might even just be outright angry. I trust that they're working through that if that's the case because we can't know for sure. And if that is the case, I hopefully they're working through that. Hopefully them working through it is why the ball has been moving so much better. But – and I'm not saying Kyrie intended for that. Maybe it just kind of happened and that might not have been the best idea at the time. But the team looks better. And I just hope that they keep it up. Yeah, there were only only so many seats at his dinner table. True, but that doesn't mean you couldn't at least have invited them like as a show of like solidarity. Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. Um, what I've noticed this year with the amount of depth we have and everyone kind of being healthy minus Tice or Baines here and there, there's not really those small heroes that we had from last year. Like we have Brad Wanamaker now that was our – kind of Shane Larkin replacement, no minutes. Uh, Semi Ojale, hardly seeing the floor. He was guarding Giannis in the playoffs last year, which actually will be interesting to see if he does come back and make a little bit of an appearance against Milwaukee since he knows the team a little, even if they are different now, being coached by Budenholzer. Um, but those smaller guys really aren't seeing the minutes because we don't need it from them. Yeah, but I think it's a shame because really I feel like Ojale is one of our future pieces. Ten, Maybe not ten years, but like five, six years down the line. Like I'm not saying he's going to be one of our starters, but I think he'll be a great 3 and D guy for us off the bench. And for him to not get those minutes, it, it kind of sucks. Maybe give him some time in Maine to try to improve on that three-point shot, which is like the biggest flaw in his game right now. And yeah, like you said, he did a great job guarding Giannis in the playoffs. Like, yeah. You can only do so well guarding Giannis, but he did well above average for most players. Like most, It's like LeBron. You can't expect to stop him. He's going to have a great game no matter what. So all you can do is limit him as much as you can. And compared to other players, Ojale did a great job in the playoffs. So it's kind of a bummer he's not getting more of an opportunity, especially when I feel like he's probably the guy to fill in when Marcus Morris leaves. Because Marcus Morris, if we're being honest, he's probably looking for a big payday next offseason. And I don't think Boston's going to give it to him. And in that scenario, we need a guy to replace Morris because he's one of our most undervalued players. And I think Ojale, I remember mentioning it in a podcast before I took my sabbatical. I remember we said we think Ojale could be the guy to fill in for Marcus Morris down the line. But with less opportunities, it might take even longer for him to get to that point. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what some of those replacements are next year. Like you said, Morris is gone. He's on a steal of a deal right now, and he hasn't gotten that payday uh, previously in his career, so he's definitely going to be looking for that, and he will get it if he keeps up this level of play. 
And the other one that's very likely gone is Terry Rozier. And Cody made a good point of this, that pretty much whoever we pick with this Sacramento pick, praying that it conveys to us and doesn't go first to Philadelphia, is going to be one of those big replacements. And whether it be one of those Duke boys or whoever else that Danny likes, I've got to sit back and trust his pick here, is going to be a big replacement in that regard. Uh, yeah, of course. But that has been another place of concern for me recently. Sacramento actually looks pretty solid this year. Whether that maintains throughout the season, I don't know. But they're 5-3 and three on the season last I checked. I think that's where they are right now. Yeah. And yeah. they're... We might not. We might get a lottery pick. Maybe right now it looks like they're they're on pace to make the playoffs, and that would not be good for us. If any of the teams we have owned the pick for, we want to make the playoffs. It's the Clippers because if they don't make the playoffs, we don't get the pick. We want Sacramento to be as bad as possible without being the number one pick, and it looks like that's not going to happen. So it looks like the dreams of Zion Williamson that might not they might not come to fruition. At least it doesn't look like it for now. I would hope that maybe Sacramento cools off a bit and we get the pick and it lands like number three or number four. Number two would be great. And we end up getting someone like RJ Baird or Zion or heck, I'd like someone like Romeo Langford too. Yeah, I've been watching the Sacramento games pretty close this year. They have the number one pace in the league and the number two offense. Uh, I don't think it's sustainable. Buddy Heald is dropping 22 plus a game, but they look good. Uh, They're kind of just running everybody off the floor. Uh, They beat some decent teams in Oklahoma City. They beat a Memphis team that was doing pretty well. They just beat, um, who was it, Uh, Orlando last night. Uh, which is not some amazing team, but they're winning the ones they're supposed to, I guess, because I would put them kind of close on the same level as Orlando. But there's a lot of really good teams this year, and I don't know if there's all too many I would put them under. Like, I think there's still a good likelihood that they do calm down a little. They're still going to be good and competitive. Even last year, it was kind of lucky that they ended up with that number two pick. After winning a lot of games, they have clutch performances from players like Fox, who is the leader of that team. And so hopefully they cool off a little here and lose a little more games, especially against some of these bigger teams. But they have some tough matchups coming up right now on the road. So now is going to be one to keep an eye on them and hopefully get a little bit more of a preview on how the rest of the season is going to look like for them. Um, As a side note, I really like De'Aaron Fox. Like, he's one of my favorite young players in the league. I'm not even going to lie. That being said, I do need Kali Stein, and I need Heald to cool off. They're, they're making my fantasy league matchup impossible. <laughs> yeah, they got uh, – no, never mind. That's a conversation for another time. I, I have Buddy Heald on my fantasy, so I'm, I'm living good right now. Oh, no, this guy's got AD and Giannis, too. Oh, and with man. that, and with that, and with them out, I was like, I could take a huge lead, and then Heald and Cully Stein get like forty points. How does someone Spanish end up with AD and Giannis? He basically gutted his team. I had Giannis, and I traded him for Curry, Paul George, and Yusuf Nurkic. Wow. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and then he traded like Devin Booker and like. Who else did he? He traded Devin Booker uh, and like two other star players for AD. 
Yeah, he just went for the two highest point-getters, and if they play four games in a week each, that he's going to win his matchup. And he's still got Kyle Lowry, too, that healed him. It's just not fair. I'm winning right now, but I'm I'm not feeling too comfortable. Yeah, I, I've been lucky with Tim Hardaway. I just made a swap with Hardaway Jr. for Middleton, hoping that uh, Middleton does a little better here and... I mean, no, he's doing good, and I think he'll keep it up, but I think Hardaway's going to cool off a little. Even though he's the number one option, he's throwing up a lot of shots. I kind of liked Middleton over him. Hardaway and Cantor, and even Whiteside, they've both been gods. Yeah. But we're getting off topic now. Yeah, sorry. We'll start our fantasy nah, podcast later. It, it's fine. That, that <laughs> was mostly my fault. No, no worries. Uh, anything else want to touch on here Celtics-related? Um, just one more thing is our game after the Pacers, and that is the Denver Nuggets. Another really good team. They're actually playing defense this year. And then we all know about Jokic's pretty much perfect game where he didn't miss a single shot except for one free throw, 30-plus points, triple-double. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm scared of the Nuggets. They're, I think they – if they keep playing the way they have, they could actually probably put a dent in the Warriors' armor this year. I'm not really buying their defense, though. Um, I, I just don't think it keeps up. I think that they're kind of running other teams off the floor. They have a really nice offense, so many threats on that team, a really good dribble handoff they've been doing between Jokic and Gary Harris that both of those players are really versatile. But... Uh, I mean, we'll see if it happens, I guess. I, I just don't understand how their defense has been doing what it is. I think a lot of it has to do with the guys just weren't interested or trying to play defense last year, and I feel like this year they're committed to it, and I think that's a huge reason why they're doing so well. And if nothing else, I want them to do well for the fans of the Nuggets because they've been on the outside looking in on the playoffs, like, what, the last three, four years now where they're literally, like, two games out of the playoffs – like, if nothing else, just get, make the playoffs for their sake. Like, Jesus. Yeah, which I think at this point is pretty safe to say when before the year it definitely was a big question mark, especially with the end of that West. There's going to be two, three really good teams that don't end up making the playoffs, and that's going to lead to the whole top 16 teams should make the playoffs because probably just the eighth seed in the East is going to be some questionable team. Oh, no, no question. There are going to be like some great teams. I remember I saw a, a ranking for who's going to make the playoffs in the West. And this person didn't have the Blazers making the playoffs. And last year really showed the depth of the West because you had, obviously, Houston was number one. The number two, you had Golden State. And then basically from like three all the way to like 11, they were all within maybe five games of each other. Yeah. And the it West, came, it came down to some big games at the end, especially that last one, Minnesota and Denver, literally playing for a playoff spot. Which, to be honest, if I was Minnesota, I wish I would have lost and ended up with Michael Porter Jr. instead of losing to Houston in the playoffs. But at the same time, actually, it was a huge playoff drought for them. That was a big win for Minnesota. Yeah, and it seems like Minnesota's a cursed franchise. A lot of people talk about the Clippers. It, I feel like it's Minnesota now. Now they got Jimmy Butler wanting out. And then can we talk about Thibodeau for just five seconds? 
Like, Jesus Christ. You get offered four first-round picks, and then two players, I forget who, I think Marquise Chris was one. And Brandon And then Knight. another – and Brandon Knight for Jimmy Butler, and you say no. That could have been the Nets deal 2.0. And you say no because of your, your man crush on Jimmy Butler and or your obsession with reuniting the, your old Bulls team. It's just crazy. Yeah, unless they're, like, all lottery protected or something because – it's skipping years in between two because of the stipend rule. It, it could be, like you said, the next kind of Nets Celtics type trade because this is so far in the future that maybe Houston really falls off. And at that point, once James Harden, Chris Paul is in the end of his career, and it would be Jimmy, who's a little bit on the older side as well, definitely at the end of his peak. Those could be some really valuable high picks. So unless there's crazy protections. I don't know what Thibodeau is doing and the ownership needs to step in and say, Hey, like you have to take this trade. I know you don't want to do this because you're not going to be here after this year, but I don't give a damn. This is the team. This is what needs to happen because Jimmy's he's not even playing right now. There was an update this morning. He's taking some six step process to get out of Minnesota or something. There's way too much drama. Cat needs to be the unquestionable leader of this team and that's not happening with Jimmy. Jimmy's getting him wins. Jimmy's a great player. He went crazy in that game against the Lakers. I think he hit five threes in the uh, fourth quarter and only shot five. He's going crazy. He's a great player. And Houston's struggling. That trade needs to happen. And I'm hoping it does within the next couple days here. Well, it w- again, it would mostly depend on Houston, on uh, whether Houston has heavy protection on those picks. If they don't have heavy protections, Thibodeau's just being an idiot because, let's be real, it would be the Nets deal 2.0 because, yeah, it'd be just like it. 19 and 21, I believe, were the first two years in that deal, and they would, you wouldn't be getting too much if we're being honest because of 19, obviously, that's the next year, and they're a playoff team. 21, Chris Paul, Chris Paul James Harden. Chris Paul is going to be old. James Harden and Jimmy Butler, they're going to be at the tail ends of their prime. 2023, that's a lottery pick easily, unless Houston gets insanely lucky. 2025, that if that's not a number one, number two, number three pick, then you either got really unlucky or Houston got insanely lucky. Because deals like that in his, historically have very rarely, if ever, gone well. Yeah, I think Minnesota needs to do something with that. Uh, Jimmy, keeping him around, he's obviously leaving. So they're going to trade him. Um, I I mean, unless Thibodeau goes insane and thinks they can convince him to keep him, I I don't think there's any way that ownership lets that happen. Like, obviously, people need to understand these coach GMs do not work well because the GMs are just looking out for their own jobs and are so short-sighted that... It's just not going to work out. Um, Jimmy needs to be moved. Uh, are we just going to sit here and pretend Thibodeau hasn't already gone insane? But uh, in all seriousness, I agree. The GM coach thing, it never really pans out. The only one that's really working in the NBA right now is Greg, is, is Popovich, and for a very good reason. And out of all the coaches in the league right now, the only one 